this week on the Open Esther's Podcast with Sumedi Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. My partner cheated, was cheating on me, but then he wants to be polyamorous. And it's like, no, you, you can't get over the betrayal of cheating and then immediately become polyamorous, especially with the same person he was cheating on you with. <laughs> like you have, to, you have to heal that betrayal and the lying, you know, and that could take a year. Welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. I'm Tessa. And I'm Amir. And we are the Open Nesters rather than Empty Nesters. How will you write Act 3 of your life? Together with wise guest experts, individuals, and partners just like you, we will go on a journey and discover how rich this stage of life, Act 3, can be. Having space for yourself and having space for your partner and encouraging that. What's the best way to prepare yourself for opening a new door? It's to pause. This woman came down with two guys and she introduced them as her husband and her boyfriend. This is what I want. Life keeps on living. Step into that. I'm so happy the audience of uh, Open Nestor Podcast can listen and understand and learn from Sumedi Sparks, the open relationship coach. Don't you think? Absolutely. She's so clear and kind and has such an incredible knowledge from her own experience. And, and wisdom. I, lo- and I love wisdom. the way she uses her own experience as well. Yeah. So we want to we wanna introduce her because she's actually out in Hawaii right now, but she's been all oh, over the place. I'm jealous. And she's at our stage of life, even if she's not an open nester herself. And she has a lot to teach. If you're considering at all how being monogamish could work. So listen up for somebody. Yeah, listen to Somebody Sparks. Good evening and welcome to the Open Nesters podcast. Sumadi Sparks, our open relationship coach for the night. We're so excited to speak <laughs> to you in Hawaii. We are. <laughs> well, I'm glad to be here with you virtually across the world. <laughs> the oceans, yeah. Across the, the oceans. oceans. Yeah, that's where we are. We uh it's amazing. I, I thought that your background is actually one of those fake backgrounds. Until like, you see the little girl real. pushing her little toy, right? Yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's a real thing. It's a real thing. <laughs> so very tropical, lush, very tropical. Lush. Wow, it makes you think of all the sensuality we're going to speak about. Mm-hmm. So It's yes. very sensual here, yeah. Like when you jump in the ocean, you feel like the water is just so sensual. <laughs> well, Hawaii is one of our favorite places. We'll definitely get Absolutely. back there. So this, so this evening, let's, let's discuss a little bit about you and your background. I mean, a little bit, your personal story, like what brought you to where you are today, if we could start there. And then we want to make sure that we're going to address this stage of life that we call act three, as we call ourselves open nesters after kids. So whatever of those things you can include on the journey that has brought you to where you are today. Mm -hmm. Well, I wish I could relate to the open, to the empty nester part of it, but I don't have kids. Um, But what I can teach and talk about is, you know, letting go of old beliefs and old programming and like kind of springboarding into the last third of our life with a new paradigm to give us more options and um, 
more ways of achieving those things that we kind of put on the back burner while you're raising a family, you know? Um, so I got into being um, someone who practices ethical non-monogamy and that's kind of an umbrella term for uh, open, honest, um, transparent non-monogamy. So as opposed to cheating where there's deceit and it's unethical. <laughs> So um, it's an acceptance of anything that's consensual um, among all the people involved. So um, obviously non-consensual acts are, you know, doing something with somebody who's underage, doing something with somebody who's drunk or in an altered state, doing something with somebody that's obviously unconscious. Those are all non-consensual, but consensual, right. Very but consensual means that we're all awake and in agreement that we're going to do this. It doesn't mean it's not going to be hard sometimes, but at least we've all agreed that we're going to not blame the other person for doing something that hurt us because we agreed to do this. Okay. So that's what ethical non-monogamy is. So I got into that. Um, and I was already, you know, a little bit older at the time I was, um, just shy of my 40th birthday. And so now I'm 60. So, um, this has been something I've engaged in for over 20 years before that I was a cheater. Like I didn't know that there was any other way. And I just thought I was a bad person. So I learned that there was this thing called polyamory. There was this thing called ethical open relationship. And I went, oh, I don't have to lie and cheat anymore. And it also was validating that it was just kind of like an identity for me. It wasn't a choice. It's kind of like being gay where it's like, I could probably be monogamous for a couple years, but I always ended up cheating after a couple years. So I learned that like, I can't thrive long-term in a strict monogamous relationship. That doesn't mean I need to just go out, go crazy, have millions of lovers. It just means that I wanna be able to have the conversation in a loving way that's supportive of the connection that we do have and find a way, even if it's just being monogamish, which I can go into later if you want, which means just you're mostly monogamous, you have an emotional partner, but you might flirt or you might go to parties and only stay together. You know, There's different ways of non-monogamy that aren't full on orgies. You know. <laughs> So anyway, I knew that I had to have some kind of openness to really thrive. And that's just like an identity for me. So when I discovered that, I was like, oh, great, this is what I'm going to do. Well, I had a lot to learn and we all do. I find the people I work with have a lot to learn. They go out and try to do it themselves. And then they call me after they've made a mess of things. So one of the turning points for me was when I had a five-year relationship with someone who was married and supposedly ethically non-monogamous. I mean, they were. I got triggered in some real deep core wounds and core issues at the end of that relationship and, you know, had my dark night of the soul and came out of that and thought, I need, I know that I need to live in this lifestyle, but how can I do it without going through a dark night of the soul every six months? <laughs> so that's when I really threw myself into reading all the books, um, you know, doing all the journaling, seeing the poly-friendly therapists, like doing all the things I needed to do so that I could live that way and thrive and be happy. And through all of that learning, I developed tools and practices that really helped me. People started asking me what I was doing and eventually I- Yeah, I was wondering how you made that quantum leap from yeah. being an expert in your own relationship to yeah, being well, an expert Yeah, well, people start asking you like, what did you do? How did you get through that? How can you be in a relationship with this person and not feel jealous? Like, and so I start just giving advice and then realizing that I have something really special to offer and, you know, transitioning that I'd already been doing body work. So I'd already had 
skills around bo- the body and you know somatic well spirit yeah. but also the somatic the way that we hold traumas in our bodies and that's a lot what comes up around open relationship is the jealousy gets triggered and that points that it points to those core wounds that were unhealed from childhood so that's kind of what i end up working with with people and myself continually we, we're never fully i would healed. love to hear more specifically for our age audience if you have had a couple that you've um, perhaps you know coached and and maybe some of the things that help them with with I mean, trauma is so personal and so, so multivaried. So I don't know that we can go to a trauma. I just think the idea of where you start with someone to evaluate whether they're even you know, suited or suited to do something well, capable, like that. Yeah. yeah. Really, a lot of it is slowing down. And so I'm on a lot of Facebook groups that have to do with open relationship. And so many people come on there and say, my partner cheated was cheating on me but then he wants to be polyamorous and it's like no you you can't get over the betrayal of cheating and then immediately become polyamorous especially with the same person he was cheating on you with <laughs> like you have to you have to heal that betrayal and the lying you know and that could take a year you know for the the person who was cheated on to be able to trust that now you're going to be honest with them when you see other people. So that can take a year. So it's a lot slowing down and not forcing your partner to push through their edge. And one person's edge can be completely different from another person's edge. So it's about kindness and tuning into how your nervous system can handle it. Um, so I'm thinking of one couple in particular that are both over 60. And well, it started out with a married couple. Okay. And he, started to have an attraction to his workout partner and they came to me before he did anything to talk about how to do that in a respectful way and so he was great he was so respectful to his wife he went really slow he didn't you know he started out with just flirtation we'd check back in and see how she was feeling and her trauma would often get kicked in so I'd do some somatic exercises with her to help her in her body and listen to what she needed. She was a dancer. So she would often use dance to move through the stuck places in her body. So I just went really, had them go really slow and they listened to me and and trusted me in the process. And eventually they got to where they could be, where um, he has, he didn't end up, it didn't end up working out with his workout buddy, but he found another person that he enjoys. And she dove into some other sexual healing modalities and workshops and stuff and now she has a hot boyfriend <laughs> so it took i think i worked with them for about two and a half years but you know I had, did you work with the couple the husband and the wife or also with their partners? all of the above like when when his second girlfriend that turned out to be a long-term person i was there to mediate their first meeting online so the first time those two met they wanted me to like facilitate that so that was really fun that's so sweet. No, you have a kindness about you, and it's a very, it's very warming. With you, you know, <laughs> a, besides the tropical background from your heart, so the somatic, the somatic experience is is really, I think, essential to help people find their modality of working through that if they're ready to do that. And and that and it is a hard decision. I mean, I and often just one one part of the you know partner does do it, which I think is also another thing. I wonder how how you deal with only one partner that wants to and how the other, if they're open enough to allow that, because some people I wonder around intimacy have so many issues within their couplehood. So do you work on the couple first 
before you know, they consider the open relationship? Well, all of the above, it really, people come to me at all different stages of it. So actually one of the, well, the first cohort, the first type of person that came to me was maybe three or four clients that I had that I was doing massage on and body work healing and stuff. And they were mature men who I kept getting this same scenario. I was like, okay, why am I attracting this? Mature men that were like, maybe they had just turned 50 or 60, like one of those round number birthdays, or maybe they had just recovered from a near fatal illness, some kind of like pivot point in their life. Um, maybe they just retired from work. And they were feeling like, ah, my wife doesn't want to have sex anymore, but I love her. I never want to leave her. And what do I do? How do I go on with the last part of my life with no sex? I can't do that. Like, but my, I can't talk to my wife about it either because even bringing up the topic, she'll leave me. And so it just felt like this conundrum. And he didn't want to leave his wife because they're mature people who had built this whole empire together, you know, and everything else was working great except the sex. At least that's what they would present with. But of course, when we dig under, we find what the other issues are. Um, <laughs> so that's kind of who was coming to me. And so I became really good at helping these men find a way to have the conversation with their wife. And again, but is it is it mainly men men that comes to you because you no, keep on return? No, that was just or just happened to be that just happened to be yeah. how I like my first kind of who I was attracting, you know. And I was like, wow, I keep getting this. And so I kind of developed a way for them to be able to go really, really slow, bringing up the topic with their wife in a way that and teaching them skills around holding the space. And this is something I teach all the couples I work with, how to hold the space for your partner's reaction without you reacting. If you're enjoying this episode, we have a number of fabulous episodes on the same approximate topics. And number nine is sexuality, identity, and capacity with Dr. Rosalind Descavo. Number 14 is with Kitty Shambliss, Loving Without Boundaries. And number 22 with Jim Fleckenstein, The Many Kinds of Love That Work. Like put your stuff aside and just listen because that, that seems like you're doing nothing, but you're doing everything to just be present, breathe, maybe be curious and ask some more questions and just hold that space for their reaction. So let's say the man comes to his wife and says, you know, I love you. I never want to leave you. And I'm feeling like I can't be go on anymore with, with no sexual expression in my life and have her go, well, who is she? You know, like automatically assume that he's having an affair, right? Instead of reacting to that and going, there's nobody and then getting in a fight, he just holds the space and goes, oh, yeah, it sounds like you are afraid that I might be having an affair. And no, I'm not. But tell me more about where that came from, right? Like kind of playing therapist and just letting your partner get it all out. So really just teaching them how to slow down, have the conversation, get to the place where on the, they're on the same team about it. So here's, here's the two of us over here. And we're a pair and we're a partnership and we don't want to destroy that. But over here is the problem of one person wants more sex. <laughs> so how do we as a team figure out how to solve that? And what are some of the resolutions that you've seen? Everything from, you know, you know, here I'm going to just speak from my experience as a woman, that a lot of times women... And not that men don't have the same, and I hate to get binary like this. We talked about this um, in our pre-interview, Tessa, about the binary, but just yeah. for a moment, I'm going to acknowledge that I have, you know, 
a female body and I've you know grown up as a cisgender female that it's been really hard for me to ask for what I want sexually from men because I was taught that if I had a strong sexual desire that meant I was a slut um, if I knew what I wanted, if I strongly knew what I wanted sexually, then that would turn off men. Um, if I came prepared with like a sex toy or a condom, that meant like I'm a whore because I'm expecting to, <laughs> we're going to have sex. So there's all this resistance around really owning what you want. So a lot of women don't even know. And then the times that I have asked for it, I find so many instances where the man feels like me asking for what I want sexually somehow makes him wrong about what he's doing and so he's supposed to just know what I want like from watching porn I don't know somehow he's supposed to just <laughs> know what I want and so then even when I ask for it he doesn't do it he can't hear or whatever and so or he gets his, so offended by it that I never want to bring it up again so there's all these things against women asking for what they want so then as women go through they want the family they want the security so they're kind of putting up they're tolerating not so great sex we get older we get more mature, we, we get past menopause and our sex drive isn't running us. We have the security and now we're like, you know what? I'm done with this mediocre sex. I don't want it anymore. So sometimes I teach them like, well, if you really could have exactly the kind of sex you wanted and husband, are you willing to try to give that to your wife? Because you haven't gotten any for so many years. They're, he's finally willing to hear and listen. And with support, she's finally willing to say what she wants. So sometimes their sex life gets so great that the topic of open relationship is off the table. Uh, do you find that the, the open relationship issue comes from broken relationship, some relationship that needs repair, oh, well, or really from more of a, a couple trying to enhance their relationship? Yeah, where, where do you find that's it? That's a really qu good question. A lot of people who do similar work to me, you know, polyamory coaches, or even people that are well-versed in it, will say that opening a relationship will not fix a broken relationship. But there's no such thing as all or nothing, you know? So sometimes if the relationship really is great and one person legitimately lost their sex drive or has maybe a medical condition or from their medication or some reason just can't have sex or doesn't want to and, and really truly everything else in the relationship is great, then open relationship can be helpful. Um, but if the relationship is, is really broken or damaged in some other way, then no, it's not going to fix it. Um, so there's a variety of reasons why people open their relationship. I was just talking about what came to me like organically when I first started sure. doing this, but no, now I've worked with people who, um, you know, maybe they've had, um, non-monogamy in their past and they started a new relationship and they had a period of time where they wanted to be monogamous to kind of get grounded in their dyad and then now let's open it um, you know there's all different ways of people doing it but there's some couples that uh, one partner wants non-monogamy and the other one doesn't do you find that as a, as a, as a norm do you find that as a as the unusual or how, what, what do you say to people like that i mean the wife or the husband you know, I'm happy the way I am, whether I'm sexless or average or mediocre. Mm -hmm. What? A, but, you know, if you want to do, go ahead and do. I mean, do you find that also? Well, yeah, we call that the polymono relationship. And it can be really challenging. Oh, there's a name for it. Polymono. Yeah, polymono. Because the mono person has this belief that if you want to have sex with somebody else, it means that I'm not enough. And it's really hard for them to let go of that programming and so it requires them to really stretch from what's natural for them. 
and really love the person enough that they want to grow and learn and look at what their triggers are. So it's really challenging. But if, if the poly person can, again, go slowly, can honor their their partner's nervous system and go at the pace that their nervous system can grow at and not be like, okay, I'm going to go spend a week in another state with my new lover. Like that's too much too soon, you know, like go real slow, like go on an afternoon date and come back and check in, you know, like, and, and just continue. If that, if the mono person is willing to do their inner work and grow and, and really hold the space and the poly person is willing to be tender and loving and gentle and listen, it can work, but it's- And it's sometimes it's completely non-negotiable and it can't happen. And you probably have had to say to couples, this is not gonna work for you, I would assume. Is that yeah, true? Yeah, it, it's absolutely. And you know, I had like a run of couples that were just breaking up after they talked to me and I felt like I was you know, doing it wrong. But I, I really think sometimes people hire a coach or a therapist to get support in breaking up. Like they already know that they're not a match and they just want validation. They don't want to feel like a failure. So sometimes that happens where they kind of know we're not a match, but it's scary to admit that to each other and they, they need a witness. And intimacy also, I wanted to say the way you're coaching people about really looking and listening and deep listening. So that intimacy, if they can come back to that, they sometimes they're not going to come to an open, they're not going to come to an open relationship coach unless that's a consideration. So the first step could be, as we would like to, you know, tell people there are plenty of sex therapists out there. We have re or marriage therapists right. as a first step, or just coaches and intimacy coaches on relationship itself to, for people to know they can start there. Um, because if they're thinking about open, you want to find someone qualified that's non-judgmental in that area. First yeah, exactly. And there's poly-friendly therapists, but I feel like I bring my unique um, long time of experience with with open relationship where I've made every mistake for you. Um, but what I was gonna say was, um, I didn't mean to interrupt you, I just had a thought there. Anyway, I forgot, go ahead, go ahead, finish your but thought. It's intim the intimacy piece, I just, I, so you coaching people to really listen and see what their, each, each other's emotional needs are that sometimes can bring up a lot of breakdown. So that's the slow part. That's why I love listening to you talk about why we need that that slow part. And I also wanted to ask you to please identify the terms because our audience is not necessarily an open relationship or non-monogamy um, expertise. And so the difference within an open relationship, if we can go over those terms for a minute, we were talking about polyamorous and sometimes it's just sexual. Would you call that just, you know, swinging? I mean, or, or do they, why don't you just define it for us? Sure. I'd be happy to that. talk about that for a minute. So first, I just want to frame it as people, when you step outside the mainstream default, you know, monogamy model, you're going to find, you know, rebellious types of personalities who are comfortable with living outside the mainstream. And so we tend to not identify with labels so much. So it makes it really challenging for us all to agree on the labels. <laughs> okay, go so ahead. I'm just going to say how I think of it. And somebody else might have a completely different understanding of it. But the way I think of it is ethical non-monogamy is an umbrella term. And then under that umbrella, you have swinging, which is no emotional connection. We're not, we're just going to have recreational sex, usually with our partner and another couple, or usually they might bring a woman or a man in and play with them as a couple but they're not gonna like date them after the experience, the experience is over. They might play with them again, but it's in the container of this party or this event that they're going to. One and um, done. 
Yeah, yeah. Or or when they see them in a sexual context. Or they right? see them again. Yeah, they might want to play again, but it's going to be done with these clear boundaries that that we're not going to fall in love as if you can control that. <laughs> so that's one end of the spectrum. If you think of like a pure spectrum and then the other end of the pure spectrum is polyamory. And I was at a polyamory conference having lunch and we we're at a big circular table going around the table saying, how, how do you do polyamory? And this woman who was in her fifties said, I hate when people assume that polyamorous folks are, are, you know, promiscuous because I've only had sex with four men in my life and three of them are here at the conference with me. So she was an, <laughs> she was an extreme example of like, when she has sex with somebody, she falls in love and they stay in her life forever, you know? So um, that's like another end, but there's tons of gray areas. So you have swingers who, and I just recently worked with a couple who were swingers and they, or they call them lifestylers now, um, lifestylers who um, the woman fell in love with one of her lovers. And she was like, you know, telling her husband, I know that's not what we set out to do, but now I really want to see this man separately from you and have an emotional connection. So that's when they hired me because he was like, oh, that's not what this was supposed to be. So they're dealing with all those feelings around that. And she's just speaking her truth. One of those women who hit midlife and said, you know, I've always given in to what you want. My whole life, I've given up my dreams to raise a family. And now I want my it's hot my lover. Yeah. And my I'm not, time. and he's like, but does it have to be that guy? I don't like that guy. He's a jerk. And she's like, yes, it has to be him. <laughs> I'm not going to give up. I'm not saying I'm not going to give in this time because I've given in so many times that I want this one. He makes me feel great, you know? So that's where this power struggle was with them. He was like, I'll be fine with it if it was anyone but him. <laughs> She's like, no, I want him. <laughs> I love that you're dealing with it well, and, and the lightheartedness around it because also we take ourselves too seriously, right? I yeah. mean, making this a process of, of finding ways to love each other and be lighthearted together and, and not have to separate so fast because you have to slow down. I mean, I'm going to come right. back to that. because yeah. I. The Radio Vagabond. If you like to travel but haven't really been able to too much in recent times, let me do it for you. The ultimate destination for armchair travelers who are looking for inspiration to get out into the real world and let loose their wanderlust. So far, I've been to almost 100 countries, so I'm halfway in my quest to visit every country in the world. Join me, and maybe you'll get some inspiration for your next trip. The Radio Vagabond. Gotta keep moving. I have a question here. I mean, you have you had cases where you failed in a way? Where you couldn't really help the couple, and, and why? And what was the result of that? How did that come out? Well, like I said earlier, I felt like a failure when people were breaking up, but then I, I started realizing that they kind of already knew it wasn't going to work out. But I can remember uh, early on, I had um, a married couple and their girlfriend, and she was lovers with both the man and the woman in the, in the couple. And she really had separate relationships with the man and the woman. She, she was equally interested in, lo in love with each of them. So I met with all three of them in person. This wasn't even online. We, we got into a circle and it was real. I was so excited that I got to work with three people instead of two. And in the first session, I could tell that this, this lover, this, this other woman, not the wife, but the other woman, that she wasn't getting what she needed from the husband. He was not willing to give her the kind of attention and affection that she needed because he was really into fathering. I really didn't have the time 
and the emotional energy to be more than just a lover on occasion. And I could tell that she was just kept running into a brick wall on the first session. So I basically had to tell her, give it up with him. He's not going to give you what you want. Focus on your relationship with the wife because that was really healthy. So I wouldn't call that a fail. I think sometimes I just see that we need to transition. And what I'm going to say real quick here is that in an ideal world, this very rarely happens, but in an ideal world, if we are speaking our truth, holding our boundaries, which is huge because especially women want to give up our boundaries to stay in connection. But if we hold our true boundaries, we know what our boundaries are and then hold them. And we're speaking our truth and we're able to listen to our partner's truth without melting down. Even if their truth is painful, we've learned to hear it and know that we're not going to die. If we can really listen to their truth, speak our truth and hold our boundaries, we never have to break up. The word break up is is a violent term, like it breaks. So instead, we find a way to love each other in a different way that gets our needs met. And I've done that with, um, I had a long-term partner of 12 years and we, um, rem- the, the sexual romantic part of our relationship was troublesome. So we put that off to the side and just continued to love and support each other. And over the years it evolved into where um, we both started meeting other people to meet our romantic and sexual needs, but we're still just as in love as ever because we stayed in communication and connection around what our needs were. And you know, we were just talking today about like, him being on my my like power of attorney because he he got worried because I'm in Hawaii and I'm swimming in the ocean and he's like what if a shark eats you <laughs> like who you know do you want to be on life support you know we started talking about those major life things and so he's still that much of an important person in my life that he would be the one that I would give power of attorney to if I were you know on death's door and that says a lot and he's no longer a sexual romantic partner Right. So we that just really, that really says a lot. And I just love because Amir and I have worked out a lot in our growth into polyamory and have really, I feel like our love has deepened, especially over the last number of years, because of the awareness that we can go through those waves together because we've been together 31 years and raised a family that we don't have one expectation right. of the way it has to be all the time. Right. So that is that that's a huge amount of release and allowing that that's what you're talking about with knowing, first of all, you know, where the space is I need for myself. We, we have our own little episode at the beginning of uh, one of our podcasts called About Space, which is so true to us. And so you're talking about how couples can navigate that. And I. Yeah. I just and that's really hard to do when your trauma, t- when your trauma is triggered. So if your partner is saying like, I love you and I love our sex life and I want a partner that's more into, let's say, kink, for example. And that, that can trigger you into like, I'm not enough sexually. And that can trigger a real deep, deep core wound of not being enough. And it's hard to hear that when you're in that triggered state. So that's the skill, the muscle that needs to be developed to be able to hear your partner's truth. Wow, these are such helpful suggestions, really. Sumati, is if, there anything else? Yeah, Did, I, I want to ask this. We have many listeners that, are in the open nester stage. We call it open nesting rather than empty nesting. And that may consider opening their relationship to consensual non-monogamy. What would be the first step that they would take in order to even consider it or 
I know that you can do the research. They may go to a poly conference or whatever. But what would you suggest to a couple that says, what, us? Open relationship? Oh, non-monogamy? We're married for 36 years? We, you know, what's that all of a sudden? What would you say to a couple like that to start even thinking about it to enrich their life? If You know, sometimes they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. Well, so they, when do? I work with a couple that comes to me before they've gone out and made a mess of things and then they yeah. clean it up, so let, like I, I worked with a lesbian couple that's, you know, has a grown son that left the nest and this is in the middle of the pandemic and it's kind of hard to meet new lovers, but they're like, well, let's just get the groundwork so that when we can date again, we'll have the skills. So that was great to work with them and kind of teach them how to prepare without actually bringing other people in yet. And so there's, there's kind of two really important steps to take that don't involve other people. One is the unenmeshment process because Couples who've been together a long time, married, live together, are very enmeshed, whether they know it or not. And so they, they finish. What does unmeshed mean? Enmeshed. They're entwined. Enmeshed. Entwined. Enmeshed. Yeah, entwined. Like they're, they finish each other's sentences. They, um, I well, see. I'll give you an Got example. There's, there's a couple that have these, um, these apps on their phone where they can see where each other is all the time. And that was really romantic when it, cause it was like, Oh, you want to know where I am when the relationship was new. <laughs> but then after a few years, it's like, it's a pain yeah. stalkery, you know? And so I was like, get rid of that app. You know um, you have to start creating some sovereignty where you're your own person. And so one of the suggestions I make is to start having date nights with each other, even if it's four or five nights a week, don't just default to, oh, dinner's over. We're going to hang out and watch Netflix. Like most couples just default to that. So then as soon as one of them wants to date someone else, there's this nervous system shock of like, oh, that's what we do after dinner. So you start making dates with each other. Even if it's like three nights, four nights a week, we're going to watch Netflix. We're going to make love, whatever you're going to do. But it's a date. It's a specific date. And the other nights that are not date nights, you get to do whatever you want. Now there's still no agreement that you're going to date other people yet. This is the pre-stage. So you can do anything you want shy of going off and dating someone. So you go see your friends, you go for what you don't tell each other where you are. Like this is to strengthen that muscle of not tracking each other all the time and having some freedom of, of choice. So this is the first stage of it. Step, yep. Well, I feel like it was, it's fun to tell each other. I mean, we, we don't, we kind of have this feeling of, you know, if you don't really want to know too much, you won't ask if I don't really not in the mood to share that much, it's okay. And then if you do at some point, we'll come back to telling. So some people don't have to be completely sovereign about that. Although it's what works for you if it's not working. And that's why the evaluation process is so important. And well, I, exactly. And everyone's different. And that's one of the first things I ask people when I start working with them is when your partner goes off with their new lover, what do you want to know about their experience? Some people want to know every detail and you have to think about the other lover. Do you have their consent to tell them every detail? That's another conversation because we want to honor the other lover too. They're a person with feelings and a heart and you can't just treat them like a toy. So bring them into the conversation. But, but how much do I want to know about my partner's other activities? Or maybe I don't want to know anything. Um, maybe I, I want to try it and then I'll let you know how it felt and I'll say, okay, stop there. I've, I've heard enough, you know. So you don't know for a while until you've tried it to see how much you want to hear. Right. right. And it's interesting that you said three or four nights a week, date night. We've tried to develop at least, you know, on the weekends, we really have a family night and then a, 
and then a, a Saturday night, which is a variety of things. But our we I like to call it our Wow Wednesday. We designate one night a week to to being no technology and to being completely intimate, going towards intimacy. So that's our that's our date night. Because other nights, if it's not intentional, don't seem datey to me. So I'm always like, well, we're just watching Netflix. We're and, defaulting. And I, and I, I love that you. Sorry, I love yeah. that you. Hold on one second. I love that you said no technology because I interviewed this couple on my podcast and and they are both tantra teachers and they said they have a, a night where they just sit on the couch with no phones and i'm like and then what nothing nothing else just sit on the couch with no phone like that's wow. huge for a lot of people <laughs> well i have to admit i poo-pooed the 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 wild wednesday at the beginning it was something like what are you talking about why do we need it we're here all the time we go to sleep together we wake up together and I have to admit that Tessa had the right vision to see what really we need. And today I value it and cherish mm, it that's and, beautiful. And, and, and know that it's, uh, it's really what's allowed us the solid ground to open up to wherever we want to be. That's beautiful. Uh, we, and we have been in open relationship now for probably about over 10 years. Mm -hmm. so, so that's definitely solidified our relationship in order to give us the basis and the grounds to do whatever we need to do and, and our wow wednesday by the way can be listening to music so we do sometimes use because we'll drum and we'll dance and yeah. and, and that's our form of play so it's just that we're not tuned in to other things or trying to distract ourselves as 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 just Correct. kind of passive participants it's we're intimacy. active with each other yeah, and let me just say the second thing that i teach people before they go out and do open relationship is to start having non-sexual encounters with if you're a straight person with someone of the opposite sex, um, someone, you know, whether you're straight or not, the person who could potentially be, uh, you know, a, a romantic interest. I, the lesbian couple I mentioned earlier, I had them go on hikes and I, I interviewed them. I said, is there anybody in your life that kind of mildly triggers your partner? And, and they each had one. They're like, oh yeah, there's wow. this friend that pays more attention to her than me. And I don't know why. Okay, that's the one. Go on hikes with them. Because I want Oof. you to get triggered. I want us to practice wow. how that feels, you know, because this is not going to be your lover. It's just someone who triggers your partner. So, so let's practice wow. that a little bit. Yeah. yeah. So having, having but, practice. But was that receptive? I mean, to somebody to, to, to actually go out and to do a, a practice? Well, like in that, that particular instance, the one woman liked the other woman's company that she enjoyed going for hikes with her. The other person felt a little hurt but like in her head she understood like okay they just have a better connection with me right. that's just life but there was a little part of her that was like oh i, I didn't want to traumatize her i just wanted to find a situation where she was a little bit like do you uncomfortable have to, yeah do you have to go with her yeah and so <laughs> then we could talk about that and strengthen that muscle you know yeah do you find jealousy as being really the biggest problem among couples that are in open relationship well, jealousy is such an interesting term. It's, 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 a, it's a big, it's big It's not subject, really even matter. a feeling. It's, it's a collection of feelings, body sensations, beliefs. You know, yeah. so uh, I went to a workshop once that said, you know, I guarantee that you'll never feel jealous again after you go to this workshop. I'm like, okay, let's see what they have to teach here. Well, basically, they just said, stop calling it jealousy, and then you'll never feel jealous again. Oh. <laughs> so instead, call it insecurity or like find out what it is that you're actually feeling underneath that word but i'm fine with using the word in fact when i speak at conferences i'll wear a button that says i'm jealous so it's like wait a minute you're speaking about polyamory but you're jealous as if those two things can't go together so i'm normalizing it that yes we all feel jealous and with practice we learn to dance with it and not 
try to pretend it's not there. Beautiful. So many great suggestions. Is there anything a, a lot of great we, we did not cover that you think it's I mean, important? you know, you have a tremendously a skill that certainly in demand for people <laughs> that really want to open their relationship. How do people get a hold of you? Well, my website is sumatisparks.com. S is in Sam, U, M is in Mary, A, T is in Tom, I, Sparks is in Sparks are flying.com. And, <laughs> and I have a, um, you can apply for a 45 minute complimentary consultation with me where we can explore whether I might be helpful to you or not. No strings attached. I don't pressure you to like make any decision on the spot. I'll just send right. you an email after we talk and, you know, continue to follow up later. Um, but it gives you a taste of what it's like to work with me. I give you a few tips and hopefully you leave with some stuff you can take away, but also, you know, I can explore whether I can help you um, after that. So there's you can that. also, you can also explore if it's something that they should really ex uh, pursue or not. Right. Well, yeah. If, Somebody, if, if a couple wants to just start and want to know if this is for them, they can yes. call you and say, we, we want to know what it's all about. Right. You can help them with that. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. Fantastic. And then also, if you go to my website, right on the homepage, there's a quiz called How Suited Am I for Ethical Non-Monogamy? So ah. that, that kind of can help them see where they fall on a scale of 1 to 18. And when you sign up, for when you ask for that quiz, you put your email in and that automatically puts you on my mailing list so you can hear about my virtual workshops that I'm doing. I have one coming up called The J Word jealousy and trauma in non-monogamous relationships. So I have two um, additional speakers that are joining me. It's going to be very experiential. It's not going to be just blah, blah, blah on Zoom. We're going to put you in breakout rooms and dyads, and you're going to have a lot of experiences and come away with some real tools to deal with your jealousy and your traumas as you explore non-monogamy. So you can find out about that if you join my mailing list by asking for the quiz. <laughs> Perfect. Wow. Fabulous. You've been such a treasure of information no, it, in that tropical background of yours. I <laughs> mean, I'm, I'm so happy that there are people like yourself Thank that you. can uh, actually, you know, open up the world for others that really want to open their relationship. I know that that's for us has opened up a world of experiences, mm. a world of uh, different feelings to each other. And I know what it can do to many, many others that may experience it. And you facilitating that and being uh, the indic, you know, the culprit to to open their relationship is really beautiful, and your your profession is really in demand for the people are looking for it. So thank you. Thank I think you. there's going to be a big renaissance once things open up again of <laughs> of yeah. people wanting to explore alternative relationship styles. So I'm here to help you do that. Thank you so Wonderful. much, Sumati. Sumati. Thank you for having thank me. You. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you very much. Take care. Be well. So many things we could take from this interview. Quite a bit, I would say. And, you know, the idea of holding space for our partner's reaction is not even just in an open relationship, but it really is about how we can do that dance of not triggering or understanding that everyone's nervous system is so different. I mean, that's huge field yeah. to consider studying how different you are than I am, how different anyone I that responds or we trigger, all those yeah. things that we really can think about in a more mindful way, which you know she definitely brings up and touches. And I, I love the way she talked about with dance, and I'll get into that in a minute but, about what I'm doing. But, but explain what is holding space really mean. 
it means not being able to react in a way that that are that we naturally do because it requires that muscle that we're using to say so for example about jealousy which i love what you talked about jealousy being a collection of body sensations and beliefs and i and i believe and if you don't want to feel it just don't call it jealousy <laughs> right don't call it jealousy but there it, it's so many other things exactly like the the fact that we walk around with 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 feeling challenged in our beliefs or feeling insecure and then and then and not knowing how to just hold that space of holding space and kind of means in a mindful way just saying i'll be okay with that i don't have right. to react right very quick i can respond from a place of of more wisdom as much as i can go I mean, I happen to agree with that, and she speaks very clearly, and we understand, if anybody does not understand what polyamory, after listening to Sumedhi, is really need to listen to, to this podcast again, I would say. But she's talking about women that fed up with compromising in a certain age, wherever that is, to not receiving exactly what they want and going after and asking for it, and not feeling that in the eyes of a man that uh, they are talking to and asking it for, they look uh, wrong for doing that. And I agree with her about that, but how about a man that wants to tell a woman exactly what he wants? Would, would that be acceptable in our society? It's, it's acceptable in a relationship that's a strong foundation and has equality, in my opinion. The, more, the, the larger picture that she's talking about is this basically the patriarchy of how many years the women have been submissive and have years of collective trauma. So I think that the and fact— And men do not have collective trauma? Well, not about the same sexual um, desires and the way they, they exhibit them in women have tended to be more submissive in the collective society. So that's why we're not talking about you and I, or we're not talking about you in particular. And yes, a man should be able to, within a relationship, talk about his his desires and needs even more so. I think women are are usually pretty good listeners and don't feel an ego. I think the men, the problem is I see, is that the men feel like they've had to serve and do the, do the, and perform, and we live in this performative society, rather than, and so their ego is offended if they haven't been able to perform, if you try to tell them what you want. Well, it also goes for the woman. I mean, the, if a man wants to open their relationship, the woman will jump and say, hey, I'm not good enough. So it goes both ways, and I don't think, we can really solve this I, I, particular I don't think issue. I think you're talking uh, about open relationships, and I'm, you're talking. She's talking about the sexual desiring, what you, owning what you want. So I think they're two different things. So well, and actually, and actually, it it gives me a good segue into finally taking a look at. I put up on our website the Tessa tab on our website on the top because I talk a lot about this idea of embodiment and being able to listen to yourself by noticing how we move energy and how we become more tuned into our sensations and playful in our lives and and so that we can bring that joy up because often women don't feel that they can own yeah. a lot of their of, of their desires, and so it really would help, and that's what I'm working with women in transitions and in groups, and so if you want to just take a look at my website, I'm I'm helping women start to identify well, the those the tab on needs. the Open Nesters podcast. On, uh, on our OpenNesters.com website, yes, right. not on the podcast right. itself, just on the, our website. Right. So, I, I mean, we, we won't resolve this, and yet, and yet, yes, I do want to say that right. men definitely can... Oh, with, in a sensitive way, if both of us can listen deeply to each other's needs, well, that's what it takes. For me, the takeaway is also speaking the truth, 
holding the true boundary, boundaries and listening to our partner's truth uh, will really a good foundation to a great relationship. So, uh, and I'm not going to call it jealousy anymore. <laughs> We're going to use a different word for it. Regardless of that, go ahead and visit uh, the tab on our website, theopennesters.com. That's the Open Nesters, the double N in the middle and S at the end. Check out the tab called Tessa and find out what Tessa can really bring to you and what she can do for you. Beside that, just listen to other previous episodes of The Open Nesters. Leave us a comment. Tell us what else you'd like to hear. We have a survey online that we would like to uh, your participation, listen from you, uh, what you have in mind. Do you know someone that can be a great guest on our podcast? We'd love to hear from you. And join our Open Nesters, The Open Nesters, closed Facebook group where we have great discussions as well. So on that note. Yeah, on that note, uh, we would like to thank you for listening to this, making this Open Nester podcast really popular. We are gaining listeners every week more and more and we want to thank you all of our listeners for making us really a popular and slowly but surely people using the open nester tag as their own lifestyle so till next time i'm amir and i'm tessa and we will see you on the radio ciao